everyone. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of DevOps Unbound. If, in case you're not familiar, DevOps Unbound is an every other week uh, video series where we explore relevant topics in DevOps. And then about once every month, month and a half, we actually do a live version of DevOps Unbound where our studio audience or our they're not really in the studio, they're on Zoom. But our live audience drives the questions and, and uh, commentary of our show. And we have one of those coming up soon. If you st stay tuned here, we will, uh, or if you go to TechStrong TV or DevOps.com, you can see the schedule. Today's uh, version, though, is not a live studio audience or a live Zoom audience. It's a panel discussion, and what a panel it is. I'm going to introduce you to them in a second. But before we do, there's a little bit more housekeeping I have to take care of. As I mentioned, Alan Schimmel here from TechStrong Group. We're the people behind DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Cloud Native Now, TechStrong.ai, Digital CXO, and of course, TechStrong TV. Thank you for joining us. I mentioned Tricentis is our sponsor. You're not going to see anyone from Chisentis on today's show, unfortunately, but that doesn't decrease the gratitude we have and the influence they have on us here. Chisentis is a leaders in continuous testing. They've been around a while as well. Do check them out at Chisentis.com, and we're very grateful for their support and partnership on our DevOps Unbound series. Next, um, these panel discussions are a little bit of a conversational free-for-all. We're going we're gonna to try to stick to the topic, but with a, this, this particular panel, who the heck knows? <laughs> we'll hope for the best. We have some, it, it is an amazing panel, though. Um, but if you do have any questions after watching this show, you can always reach out to us at DevOpsUnbound at TechStrongGroup.com, and, and we'll try to get to you. So, that being said, this episode sec uh, title is Making DevSecOps Happen. Making stuff happen. This actually is part of a, a little mini, you know, concentration we've been doing on DevOps Unbound on what we call our DevOps Building Blocks. This is part three of the DevOps Building Blocks. You can catch part one and two on TechStrong.tv anytime you'd like. Uh, but we're here to make DevSecOps happen. Couldn't think of a better group to make it happen with. Let me introduce you to them right now. First of all, if you're going to talk DevSecOps, you got to talk about this lady. She kind of started it. Uh, DevSecOps.org was her baby. And she's done so many things ever since then. And I always get a kick out of spending any time with her, whether it's in person or in online. Though in person is always better. My friend Shannon Leeds. Hi, Shannon. Welcome, and maybe introduce yourself. Hi there, Alan. It's so good to be here. Um, you are absolutely one of my favorite people. I love the work we do with creating awareness in the industry about change and, and we're really where we are all actually headed. Um, I'm Shannon Leeds. For those who don't know me, I'm the CEO of Third Score. It's a, it's a startup. Uh, so I've, I've ventured out into startup land. And I'm really excited about that. I've been in the industry for over three decades. I am what you would consider an emerging scientist researcher. I write code. I do lots of things. I wear my dev hat at night, my you know other hats during the day. 
And uh, this industry is something that I am super passionate about and super excited about in terms of helping us to transform. I think that there's a lot of work still left ahead when it comes to DevSecOps. And I think that we really need to band together to see everybody not left behind that we raise all this. Absolutely. Thank you. It's always it's our pleasure to have you. Thank you for being here. Next up, another one of my favorite people coming at us from the land down under, Boulder, Colorado. Um, <laughs> the one and only Andy Mann. Andy, welcome. Hey, Alan. So good to be here. Yeah. Look, this is my Colorado accent. I, there's nothing much I can do about it. Boulder has just bred this into me. It's great. Uh, mate, it's so good to be here. Uh, really enjoy this series and this idea of foundational principles. I've written about this a lot. Oh man, I mean, I'm I'm excited to get into this. This is going to be great. And and Andy, you you are CEO of your your own analyst firm now, Sageable. I am. I am. I look. I call myself Global CTO because you know the CEO stuff. I don't think I'm ready for that yet, mate. Uh, but as a CTO, I think I can make this stick. Uh, yeah, Sageable is my business. It's a advisory firm, research market research, trusted advice for technology innovators and and, and, and executives. Uh, and look, it's been great. It's only been running now for about six months, covering mainly around ops, the boundary lines of operations, and all the things operations do. And so I'm coming at this from SecOps, but I got a little DevOps in me as well, as we all know. So I'm Absolutely. excited to talk about all of them. And I, I want to talk about this distinction between DevSecOps and SecOps. We're going to jump on that. But first, I need to introduce our third panel members, the lady in pink, Tracy Bannon. Tracy, welcome. Hey there, guys. It's actually great to be here with all of you. Andy, it's nice to meet you. Now, I've spent a good amount of time with Alan, uh, with Mitch, and with Shannon. Actually, Shannon and I are kind of like twins in terms of the things that we like to do, but coming at it from slightly different vantage point. A couple of decades in industry, but I'm a software architect and engineer. Um, security has always been a part of what I needed to do to take value out into production. I work for a firm called the MITRE Corporation, federally funded research and development. So I kind of get to do the best of both worlds. I get to drive towards that leading edge, bring those innovations in define new ones and help to educate people in a, in a really objective way. So I loved community build. I love to contribute like this with uh, TechStrong with these types of conversations because there's a lot of stuff we have to do to help a lot of people. So with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Alan. All right, Chase, thank you. And let me introduce you then to the last person I'm gonna introduce on our panel today. I always save him for last. He's my co-host and CTO, principal, GM or principal analyst GM of our Tech Strong Research Group, my friend Mitchell Ashley. Mitchell, welcome. Hey Alan. Uh, yeah, and I thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Introduction. That's definitely what I do. And uh, as well as talk to these wonderful people uh, any chance I get. So this is a great panel. I think everybody's gonna love the conversation. Absolutely. So let me kick it off. You know, I, I recently I just signed a contract with RSAC. RSA conference to do our uh, DevOps Connect DevSecOps event Monday, May 6th uh, for RSA this year. I think it's the eighth or ninth year we're doing this, right? Love it. My friend Mark Miller works with us on it. Mark is going to be driving a lot of it this year. Um, I remember to the first ones we did, 
it was i got to be honest with you it was a, it was a a, a a pushing rope uphill event to get my security friends because i come from the security world to say that DevSecOps was a thing first of all they didn't even want to use the word DevSecOps. they were talking about rugged devops and and this and that and and, you know, is it marketing? And I don't even know if this DevOps is real. Why does security have to do with it? It was crazy. Shannon, Shannon was there, actually, right? She was one of the early, putting out the manifesto, the, the, the actual manifesto for DevSecOps. I'm glad to say that as I sit here eight, nine years later, it's no longer pushing rope uphill. People, I think, generally acknowledge DevSecOps is real. It's a thing. It is. It's part of this. Um, and, and we've been able to bring together some of the DevOps tribe with the security community. The whole ops piece of it is, as Andy mentioned, is still kind of work in progress. But DevSecOps real. Or at least it is, maybe because we all live in a DevSecOps bubble. When we look at organizations, when we look at the market, is, is DevSecOps real to everyone or is there still, I mean, there's always going to be laggards, but am I, am I you know, breathing my own exhaust? How, how real is DevSecOps when we get out into the real world? Anyone can start. I'll throw out the grenade of it depends. It, okay. it depends. It de <laughs> I got to start with it depends. We got to start with wishy-washy. It truly does depend on the domain that you're in, the regulations that you have to adhere to. It depends on the size of the firm, all of those different things. It is pervasively known about everywhere. The trouble is helping people to adopt it in a reasonable way while changing their corporate cultures and helping them, well, helping them to build a new corporate culture and helping them to change their policies and get the skills that they need to get after this. Fair. Shannon, Andy, Mitch, thoughts? I was going to chime in. So I, I don't think it depends. I'm going to be the counter on this. Um, I actually think that if you're building software, which most companies are, you're doing DevSecOps. You're just at either an early part of the maturity cycle and trying to figure out what to adopt, when to adopt it, or you're in the later part of the cycle realizing you need to work on continuous improvement. And there's all shades of parties in between. And, you know, there's not necessarily one way to organize something, but I do think uh, what the industry is possibly working its way through is what is cybersecurity and how does it work with product building and product development and software development? How do we consume products successfully from a security perspective? And, and ultimately, how do we achieve the balance of, say, resilience, adoption, velocity, and errors? Because that's ultimately what we mean for software trust. I think when, when we really first started DevSecOps Manifesto, it was about building trust in software, building software safer sooner, you know, making it so we're building durable long-term capability as an industry. And so I, I tend to believe that we're all on this journey together some are kicking and screaming and other folks are going willingly and actually paving the way. So we actually are in complete agreement, not disagreement. My it depends is exactly that. Where are you on that continuum? If we consider the continuum could be that you are 
just truly starting your journey, I'm with you all the way, Shannon. Well, I, I wouldn't say, I would call it consciously or unconsciously you're doing it, right? Or deliberately or not deliberately, right? No one, no one is raising their hand and saying, screw that. I want to, I want to develop unsecured software. I enjoy putting out some really buggy crap into the market because after all, I have to get it done in time. It's about the value, right? <laughs> and, and. You know, no one says, I, so I think deep down, we all want to deliver higher quality. But it isn't a want, uh, right? That the question was, where are we? I would agree with you. Nobody wants to do a poor job. Nobody wants, except the nefarious actors. Nobody wants to put buggy code out or bad code out. But the fact of the matter is it, it depending on where you are starting, the imperatives, they have the risks, whether they are software risks and whether they are risks with your infrastructure, whether they are management and business risks, it's how you are addressing your risks to still be able to deliver that that value. At the end of the day, we've got to deliver value and we want to do it sooner, safer, happier, right? Yeah. You know, I would I would just sound one note of caution on this. And maybe it's because I'm in the Rocky Mountain West here uh and, and I don't get sucked into certain bubbles sometimes, but Larger enterprises, especially, you've still got these walls and they, they trouble me greatly. Uh, the, and I think you're right. Developers are trying to be secure. Uh, operations are running secure operations and they're all trying to do it. The, I think the key here is that DevSecOps is one word. And that's what is challenging, I think, in the business that I'm in, talking to customers about how to do these things, especially larger enterprises. So, yeah, I actually agree with you. I think... I love it depends, by the way, because so true. Even some of the largest enterprises are getting this right, sometimes in pockets, sometimes brought, brought more broadly. Um, and, and it's definitely something we want to do. It's something we believe in as people, as developers. I, I don't think I talk to anyone who wouldn't agree that we want to develop and deliver and run secure software, and they're trying to do it. But, oh, wow, there's pressure. There's budget pressure. There's time pressure. Got to get it out. Uh, it's, don't get in my way. You're a roadblock. You're not. You, there's so much of this conversation, I think, still happening in larger enterprises. But you're bringing up a great point, Andy. There are so many different subgroups within organizations. Even if you're a very tiny startup, you have, if unless you're a, a single shingle, one human, you've got multiple humans in the mix. Getting to definitions that people understand, so that when they're saying these words, it means something similar to those people, at least in that room education, the upskilling to know what these things mean. If we kind of break down DevSecOps instead of it being a team that's over there and start to break it down into the principles of what you're trying to accomplish, people start buying in. And Andy, we're going to have to talk because I'm married to ops and I'm all, I'm all in on his side of this, that we got to do a better job. DevOps often and DevSecOps has often been more focused on rapid development, more effective development. We haven't paid as much attention historically to what we need to do for ops. I think it's an important point, Tracy, that it's not whose job it is, right? <laughs> Which is sort of our siloed thinking. And we do have silos. I mean, you're right, Andy. Look, those are tremendously hard to, to move past. It takes a lot of work, a lot of collaboration to, to get to that place. Um, but thinking about more, you know, it's not whose job it is, it's Every, every flow in the process, what are the, where does security play in that? And who, who helps 
define what's important to do for security and who implements that. Could be the same, could be different people, could be people working together. And so I can't think of it as a full supply chain or, or, or pipeline, let's think of it that way, a workflow pipeline and security happening in all parts of that. And is it shifting right over here? Yeah, it's, it's shifting right, shifting left over there too, but it's really part of all parts of it. And you know what, it's gonna be uneven. You know, innovation is uneven, right? And it, it, you're kind of working at each part of it, maybe more so others than another. We heard recently, I think well, it was Larry Macharone who said, not don't necessarily shift left. And I, I love the way he said, I think he said shift smart. So to your point, yeah, Mitch, that, drawing I, I was things, in on that one. Yes, you were yeah. drawing <laughs> things in both directions. Security should be ubiquitous, right? Just like testing mindset should be ubiquitous. But that, you know, then the challenge becomes, how do you move in that direction? I mean, Shannon, you're at the manifesto. How do we jumpstart an organization into learning, understanding, and, and moving in that direction? Well, yeah, and I'm hearing a bunch of things that I think are still maybe following some of the, the marketing that's been out there for years. And I think as a industry, one of the challenges we have is that these words get taken by the marketing folks and perpetuated. And, and in my mind, um, you know, and having now, <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually love marketers. I think that they're okay. fabulous. And I'm going to actually tell you a different tune, which is I actually think that to be able to do true DevSecOps, we keep talking about it like it's a pipeline. It's not a pipeline. It's not SaaS. When we talk about shifting left, what we're really talking about is the business starts through a process of trying to figure out how to accommodate customers and build features for customers. And we don't talk about how we think about customers in the right way uh, when it comes to building software where adversaries are concerned. So in my mind, and this is how I kind of express it because I think it starts the pipeline in the right way if we're gonna talk pipeline, it's um, you have to have an ad adversary mindset associated with your software development. And that means that adversaries are just customers you don't want. You gotta start there. Like, I think marketing is my best friend when it comes to trying to figure out which adversaries should we be concerned about as an entity? Why is it so challenging to get a concept like this through? It's because we don't start with the right thing in mind. And that's actually when we wrote the manifesto, we wrote it with this mindset of adversaries first, because they're the ones we don't want in our pipeline. And when I say pipeline, I don't mean it the same way I think folks take it. When I think about pipeline, I'm actually thinking about customer pipeline. I'm thinking about it from that business perspective. The things that you do to build software are a little tiny microcosm of the bigger, broader whole. And so when we talk about shifting left, we're talking about that feedback loop that incorporates a business that we're actually building off of the feedback loop of adversaries coming and showing up. And we're actually building defenses into our software, into our systems, into our people to make sure that we're serving the people we, we most intend to serve. And I think this is where when folks talk about shift left, I'm like, you still don't get it. Go look at the little diagram that was drawn a long time ago because it actually shows the little bad guy in the hat. The little bad guy in the hat is probably the most important of that pipeline. And the pipeline is not just what are you building and the development process. Again, microcosm. The, the macrocosm in your organization is not even just your own organization. It's your third-party ecosystem. And, and we really have to get 
DevSecOps sorted out in terms of non-marketing language? What is the what are the principles of it? And I think it starts with adversaries. If you aren't mapping your adversaries and you don't have metrics at the end and you don't have your software running through that where you can actually say, you know what? We can trust our software. It's actually achieving our customer goals. It's achieving our adversary goals. Then you're you're probably in the very immature mm-hmm. cycle. Like I said, everybody's on the boat because like I don't believe in anybody being off the boat, but you're in the early cycle and then learn from some folks that have actually been there, done that and actually written the book several times, but just won't write the book because it's a lot of work. Um, we talk about it. We teach it. I, I think I've written the many books through videos, but I, I ultimately think there's been plenty out there that have gone that path. The thing I have not seen yet and this is where Alan comes in. Thank you for having the 10-year reunion this year. We are on the next 10 years of this cycle to really finalize the maturity process of this. Metrics, adversary personas, just like their marketing personas for customers, right? Get your pipeline sorted out so that your language matches the business. And you know, ultimately to me at this point, if you don't have your panel metrics, if your CEO doesn't understand or doesn't care, you're, you're on the technical part of this journey, but you're not yet on the business part of this journey. You said something. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Shannon, you said something I think everybody needs to latch on to. Actually, two things. One is the persona of the adversary uh, and treating them like another type of customer or stakeholder would be another word that I would use. A thousand percent um, people, everybody who's listening to this panel needs to hear that. The other thing they need to cue in on is just like you, when I talk about flow, I'm talking about vision, business vision, the whole way through to fielded operations, the whole way to to end value being delivered and received and the adversaries along the way. So I talk about flow, whether we call it product flow, but that it needs to be that broader conversation. If we continue to look at a figure eight or a, an infinity loop and say that that's all that DevSecOps is, we've kind of lost before we've ever gotten started, right? I love I love that idea of getting past the infinity loop. Oh yes, please. So I mean, just thank you so much, Trace. Uh, and look, I'm just fanboying over here for a little bit because I'm listening to you two talk, and I, you know, you're talking about such an important thing, mindset, right? Uh, you're talking about changing the culture, um, talking about customer centricity, but most of all, you're talking about things to do. Culture, culture is an interesting thing, right? I fundamentally believe culture is a thing you do, not a thing you believe. It's a result of activities. You can intuit a culture by looking at the things that people do, the the, the artifacts of activity define how other people see you. You can have culture of DevSecOps in your head all the time if you're not doing anything. So this idea of actually bringing those security experts into those early planning meetings, having that mindset where as a business, you say, we will protect our customers because our customers are who we are servicing. You know, these are steps you can have. One of the things I, I have a challenge with when I work with larger enterprises, actually, what do I do? Sure, I read about DevSecOps. I believe in DevSecOps, but I'm in Dev. I'm not in Sec. So what do I do? Uh, you're giving people things to do. And I think that's where, you know, 10 years on, we have made so much progress. And thanks to people like you mainly, that we get to this idea of doing things, not just talking about how to or what to or culture or, or, or thinking, but you know, it's an action we've got to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wrote a lot and spoke a lot over the last 18 months about something I call 
no hobbyists. I actually have it out there as a hashtag every once in a while, because as we've because we've concatenated some phonemes, dev, sec, ops, and people assume we need to shift left, right? Marketing hype to, to Shannon's point. There's also been a lot of responsibility clobbed onto delivery teams, whether you say that, you know, whatever makes up that delivery team, notwithstanding, we've clobbed a lot onto them. We cannot expect delivery organizations, the delivery part of this to be responsible soup to nuts for security by any stretch of the imagination. We do need to provide upskilling. We need to provide opportunities to also collaborate. I suggest that when you're having your initial focus groups with those end users, that security is there also prompting them, helping them think about it. Um, I think it's Allison Miller. Um, we both last year spoke about this concept. We came at it very differently, but came to the same end that you can even leverage your user stories if you already have some user stories as a way to expose the end users and the entire team to thinking about security. So extend the Mad Lib as a, I don't know, an owner. I want to X, Y, Z, so that I, right? That's the Mad Lib. If you add on to that, that I would like you to protect this bit of my information from this potential, right? Um, backlash or potential nefarious actor. People start to think that way. And it is a different type of thinking. An example is, I would like to be able to enter in information into a, an address kiosk and receive directions on how to go there. And I need you to protect that information when I leave the kiosk, when I walk away. So people start to think about, oh my goodness. So everybody needs to become steeped, right? To Shannon's point, everybody needs to be steeped in security thinking for us to begin to address putting it across all the aspects of the flow. Yeah, I, I think did. building building on to your um, Mad Libs, what I would say is as a customer, I would like the software that software manufacturers build to be script kitty resilient at a minimum is a good use case that I haven't seen yet in, in most companies. And why isn't it there? Because I think that's the beginning when we talk about threat modeling as an example. Uh, one of the most crucial and critical components that you could do is threat modeling. And why don't we do it? Because we don't actually treat it like the right component part that it is within our thinking. It is absolutely test planning. You are adversary test planning. So when you go to verify your controls, you should be using that threat model to determine whether or not you've been successful at mitigating the risks you think you should be mitigating. And then if that doesn't work out and you get an incident, you should tie it back to the threat model so that you're constantly making that threat model better, improving your defenses. And yet what we see is threat models get done, they get shelved, no one ever looks at them again. And they're not, they haven't become a very rudimentary part of this process. And I think this is where we're still sort of failing as an industry mm -hmm. is that threat models are crucial test plans that you need to have to verify. They should be going to your pen testers. Like whoever's gonna help you verify that your stuff is working, you should use that. And they should actually have adversaries on them. So which yeah. adversaries are you threat modeling today? What persona are you trying to work on? I, I think yeah. we talk about it, but we talk mm -hmm. about it so deep and we don't actually talk about it in the way that actually makes it simple, tangible, useful, exchangeable, like all these things that actually operationalize what it means to build safe software. 
And that's where I, I think we have to kind of move from, it's a tool, it's a person, it's a culture. It, it is actually much more collaborative than I think people think when you do it well. And it, it requires you, like, I'm going to just tell you, I've sat with marketing folks and I'm like, what is SEO? And they're trying to explain to me and I'm like trying to explain to adversaries. And frankly, it's the best conversation you can possibly have. But I'll tell you that just all, when we talk about silos and walls and all this stuff, it's actually language, folks. Like, let's just get past the word wall. Let's get past the silo term. It's language. Like, figure out how to simplify what you're talking about. You are the expert, but in that room where you're trying to collaborate with somebody, like, you need stick figures. FYI. You brought up, you said the word collaborate and that kind of brings us back to the threat model. As I see them often, threat models are done over here by the special group. And to your point, they are shelved. Imagine if you bring people together and expose them to threat modeling so that it is not done in isolation, so that it is not shelfware, so that it becomes a continuous living document or living body of information. I had really good success in starting that. It, it, it is. And not everybody is a part of that. I mean, I know that we live in very different worlds in terms of who I serve. At this minute, I work a lot with the federal government. And I can tell you that there's a lot of things that we're working to change to bring those people together. But it can be very difficult to get the right folks in the room. Exactly to your point. Everything you're saying, Shannon, high five. Total agreement. I think the challenge we have is we built our own language for threat models and now we have to teach threat models to people and they don't actually use it on a daily basis. So why can't we just simplify the concept of threat models and call it a test plan? Because that's what it is. I, I was like thinking we might use threat models. We bring we our use language to developers and they go, huh? Right? You know, so we, well, it's the, we get in our own way sometimes. Yeah, threat models are for us. FYI, you want to be a security practitioner, you should, you should speak stride. But do you need to have the whole world speak stride when like, that's not their job, but you got to figure out it's all right. So I, after we strided, here's the boiled down list of things that have to get tested. Did they actually get tested? How did we test them? How confident are we? Like, that's the language that's been in software for a really long time. QA has test plans. If you go look at them, they don't look anything like a threat model. Like, what are we doing? And this is the idea of, of you know, T-shaped people, right? The idea that you don't have to be the expert in security to take security seriously and build it into your practice. You know, it's about, you said it, Trace, I think, oh, collaboration, right? Um, it's about collaborating. It's not, I don't have to be a security expert in ops to understand that I need practices and processes and maybe tools to help me manage secrets in prod, right? Um, to, yeah, I got to rotate keys. I got all this and stuff. I don't need to be a security expert. I just need to work with a security expert can help me. This in, in, yeah, yes, in something I've been looking at for a long, long time is this idea of boundaries, crossing the boundary lines. If Because yeah, you're right, Trace, we talk about uh, the differences in the wall. Sorry, Shannon, we talk about the wall, right? Um, and it's not really. It's just this hump, but it's a boundary. Every time we can cross a boundary line and meet someone on the other side and just help them a little bit, we're doing DevOps and we're doing DevSecOps. We don't have to do their job and heaven forbid they should do my job, but let's T-shape, exactly. collaborate. You know, all of that stuff is how we do it in practice. You don't have to do it yourself. Lean on your team. And by the way, it works the other way around for security people. 
they don't understand a lot about what we do or why we do it in operations, for example, right? I've got to change my language in terms of availability and uptime responses and stuff and what it means to my customer because ops is at the coalface, right? What does it mean to my customer when I have insecure software and we have to deal with it in real time in prod? How does that affect me? How does that affect you? Collaborate, talk, cross boundary lines. And yeah, you're both talking about ways to do that. And I love it. Absolutely. So this again goes to, I think, something I, I fundamentally see out there. And it, and it was also a mistake that a lot of the DevSecOps vendors made. They tried to take security tools and force them down the throat of developers and, and even ops folks or DevOps teams that weren't security people. So it was like taking a, a, a Greek dictionary and giving it to a bunch of kids who only speak English and and saying hey you better you better understand the top 10 things in this dictionary number one they didn't ask for the dictionary number two they don't speak greek even if they wanted the dictionary it was the wrong dictionary to give them and number three you were trying to get them to change fundamentally what they do is they, or what they consider it to be their job right people get real touchy about that stuff right yeah, if i, I wanted to be a that, alan i saw yeah. the opposite where i wanted to provide the delivery teams with at least the visibility into some of the scan tools and into some of the security tools so that they weren't waiting for a special person to come in and look at it and we ran into some interesting licensing challenge budgetary challenge different funding lines that said nope only these security folks can use these tools and it was hard fought it wasn't to remove those tools from security it was to say provide as consistently early feedback as possible to those developers. It took about a year and a half to work through that and it eventually helped, but it required helping all those mindsets as well. Why do those developers need access to our tools? Well, why don't we together look at how we can help operations by providing them more secure, higher quality tools, reduce that cognitive load, help security to help us learn more about delivery and about the development pieces help security understand what we're doing over here, right? So it helped everybody, but man. No, but I, I think giving them security tools that are not made for them uh, mm -hmm. is again, you, 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 you're swimming up, upstream. I'm gonna pick up on that for I a agree. minute. Cause, I agree. Cause I'm gonna pick up on it for a minute. Mm -hmm. So I go in and I'm in like one of the development eyes, <laughs> won't say which one, because, you know, I'm trying to be fair and partial, impartial. But let's just say I go in there and I search the word security. How many companies have really put an IDE plugin in place for the developer to be able to check their stuff early on for the test plan in the threat model that proves their stuff is adversary resilient? Mm -hmm. So the problem that we've had in, in the industry is when we said DevSecOps, like I think within a very short amount of time, we saw highly mature DevSecOps products. Like that's a non-natural evolution, FYI. And well, so- I think it's an oxymoron, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you can see it in the market for DevSecOps tools is that there's been a plateau because those companies have taken legacy products, slapped the label on them, 
they don't actually match what's necessary for there to be collaboration in the ecosystem. And so those folks actually need to invest in solving the problem if they want to continue the market. And so there are tools that developers need and there are tools that security folks need and there are tools that ops folks need to be able to run safe software. And our, and our challenge right now in the industry, and, and this is really kind of an interesting place to be, we're at a very stagnant time in DevSecOps. So if you're listening to me and you are a vendor, stop competing with the same stagnant legacy tools. There are plenty of developers who would love to put a plugin in that actually can help them. Thank you, some of you vendors out there that have, but like specifically in the API security market, there's a few that have really gotten it and like they have some good stuff and thankfully like developers actually care about their stuff. Um, folks talk about, you know, product-led sales in security and in the developer part of the world, it's product-led growth. So those sales cycles and how we actually think about it. So if you want to sell to security folks, put security tools together that make it so you can do verification of controls. You can mitigate threats, but stop thinking that you have to do everything and then you're going to just laugh that it's a developer-friendly tool and whatnot, right? I'm not, you know, not to be a critic of it, but if you really want to help the market, and I think most do. So Alan, I would just say, this is what we had at the time. And thankfully it actually happened because these tools needed to get put into the CICD pipeline or we were all going to lose. But that's not the end. That's not the vision. If you aren't actually mapping your adversary, you don't have test plans, you haven't got threat models at work. You don't actually have those feeding back into containment loops of incidents. You're not actually building the right arsenal to be adversary resilient. And I think that's what's going to be most durable long-term. We've got to sort this out. I had a question for you in your, in your, you're giving good advice to the market, right? And what, what you're seeing is needed. What was what, your advice for people today who are like trying to figure out DevSecOps and how do I do this? And here's Shannon talking about, but I don't find a lot of that yet. Or I know these things, is that what I'm supposed to use? How do you help someone who's kind of grappling with those kind of questions about DevSecOps? Yeah, the, the adversary thing, super easy. Start with, if there's a low-skilled adversary out there, you want to prove your stuff is resilient enough, go look for the tools that are out there and test your software, even if it is in prod. Stop being afraid of testing your stuff in prod. Holy heck, your adversaries are doing it. Your stuff isn't falling over. So why is that such a non-normal event? I, I really, like once upon a time, somebody told me I had to schedule with them to test their code. And I was like, and the adversaries aren't going to do it. So neither am I. And you know what? That became a norm because I said no. Uh, and sometimes it's boundaries. Right? <laughs> Every day it's go, go build your yeah. adversary map. Here you go. Low, moderate, and highly skilled. Start there. Doesn't even have to be precise. It's you're going to get to 30, maybe however many adversary personas. But start with that, right? Just skill. And then prove with like, hey, bundle your tools and say these would be moderate skilled tools to run because they take me you know 300 hours to learn so like they're gonna take adversaries that long to learn uh and i think that once you kind of go there you know you have a little scorecard at the end that says i ran my software through and i didn't have a lot of bugs so therefore good i think uh i wrote an article on medium about securability and i'm still waiting for folks to decide that they need to have a metric I threw mine out there, beat it up. If you don't like it, 
find something else that works, argue with me, debate, let's get to something that's standard that we can leverage. But like, it takes the courage and bravery just to get started. So I would say, Mitch, some of these things are already out there. You can do them, they're simple. And you have to start, like developers need to start. Mm -hmm. If you're a developer, by the way, blank sheet of paper and a pencil, tell me how to attack your software and go fix that. That's, a, that's the beginning of your attack plan. And guess what? That becomes the beginning of a test plan. And then it can get strided and you can get help from security people. But, but start with a blank piece of paper and send it to me. Bring in the security expert, bring in the whoever, right? All right. Use your yeah. arsenal around you. But you, as the developer, like I develop software right now at night. You know what I did? Blank a piece of paper. Becomes sort of the beginning of your threat model. I didn't have the time to stride. So that kind of becomes the beginning. So Mitch, I think get started is my, my message. Cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add just a little bit to that. Thank You're you. right on what has to happen. Everybody needs to have some patience and some some guidance to help people because the builders are not by nature necessarily the breakers. So teaching them to break things, to think about adversaries is a little bit of a mindset shift at first. And the same thing, those folks who I call the security folks and the testing folks, the breakers, they're not always in concert with what development is doing. So th there is some beautiful mindset sharing that needs to happen too, to help a developer to think exactly like you're talking about, Shannon. And it's, you're coupling sort of development, uh, test-driven development, right? Sort of that to use a phrase. Adversary-driven development. Yeah, just is expanding that as part of your portfolio of what your testing is, right? And to your point, Shannon, you can use your your personas or ways to attack the softwares to guide you if you don't know how to create all that up front. So it seems like that would fit really well into you know a workflow that a developer is going to do on a regular basis. I'm already doing that. I just add more new tests, right? Yeah. Fair. How about the upside? Well, do we have to, are we running out of time? Well, no, Mitch, you got, you got two minutes, so go ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to shout out to the, the whole upside of this too, we haven't gotten to. And Andy's like pacing in his chair and he's, he's only a few feet higher in altitude than I am. So I'm, I'm in the same bubble free zone. But, I, tell you, I, I just love that we spent uh, 25, 30 minutes talking about Dev and Sec, and now I got a minute for ops. This oh, is no, big dead little writ large. 45 minutes, but I'll tell you what part we're going two? to do. We're going to do a part two, because to me, this is one of the problems, too. We had feature crawl with DevSecOps. It went from about helping developers develop secure software all the way through to the other end of the, of the conundrum here to SecOps, to, you know, to real real-time security and, and you know, post-release and, and observability, and it's all part of DevSecOps. Is that really, was that the vision? I, I don't think so. So let's, let's cut this one here, and I'm going to ask our friends at Chisentis and my TechStrong production team to rerun, schedule another follow-up to this, where we're going to shift right a little bit, right? And and take a look. Don't don't hit me, Shannon. Don't hurt me. Feel shield right. Feel shield right. Good. I love it. Shield right. Yeah, that language needs to be changed. Shield shield right. Okay. Yeah. So we're gonna right. do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm I'm gonna call a stop on today's show. If you enjoyed this conversation, stay tuned for part two coming in about two weeks. 
Shield right, DevSecOps, truth or fiction. Um, Andy, Tracy, Shannon, beyond my expect, I knew putting the three of you together was going to be dynamite. And and it, it, it really proved out to be the case. Um, and these are exactly the kinds of conversations I want to have at RSA Monday, May 6th for our DevSecOps event there. Mitch, I'll give you the last word and we'll wrap it up. No, I, I think it was very interesting kind of where, where we talked about, you know, we really did shift left in our conversation, if, to, to use that phrase, and thinking about how do you get the mindset in the beginning. And I think that's super helpful. So, and my mind automatically went, well, how do we do that for operations? So that's part two that everybody can tune into. And I also want to add my thanks to the Tricentis team for sponsoring this, Alan. You know, yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get great conversations with this without some really thoughtful um, input and ideas put together with, uh, with Tricentis and our team. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. That's going to pull a wrap on this episode of Dev of DevSecOps. They got me on DevSecOps. On DevOps Unbound. Stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to talk more about this. This is Alan Schimmel for TechStrong. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>